you don't close the sale you open a relationship if you want to build a long term successful enterprise that the frippism the lady who phrased the statement has completely changed the way people look at sales and selling today we are honored to have her with us a presentation skill expert csp cpae an award winning keynote speaker a sales presentation training expert and in demand executive speech coach let's welcome patricia fripp welcome patricia to our show your story your glory we are so glad you are here with us today definitely an amazing amazing podcast that's going to be to learn from you patricia welcome well my pleasure to join you so patricia to start with from a hairstylist to a speaker how did this happen let's step back and begin the story in england when i became a 15 year old hairstyling apprentice and then at 20 i came to america with no job no where to live didn't know anyone had 500 i knew everyone in america was rich and the streets were paved with movie stars and i found myself in the first men's hairstyling salon very posh salon in the financial district of san francisco when hairstyling was a new industry and i started delivering seminars and hairstyling demonstrations for a hair product company to help prepare me i'd been through dale carnegie and toastmasters and so i always had notes in the back of my head you know not on paper but i mentally remembered the presentations and as you always do you talk to your clients and i was telling them about doing these seminars for hairstylists and my clients who were movers and shakers in the financial district said oh come speak to my breakfast club or my rotary club and after my first two talks to the golden gate breakfast club and i think it was a rotary club i realized this is the least expensive way i can promote my business because i realized that when you're promoting a business people do business with people they know and this gave me an opportunity to practice speaking which i loved and just tell them where my salon was and once i realized this was fun i trained all my employees to tell their clients oh if you get 15 of your employees together patricia will come give you a free talk on teamwork and customer service and promoting and with all my friends in the dale carnegie class we attended every seminar speaker rally we heard about and at these meetings we heard about the national speakers association and a professional speaker said to me patricia you must go to the national speakers association convention and i'm a great believer if someone you admire and wish to emulate gives you advice you don't ask how much does it cost you do it i turned up at my first national speakers association convention when i was 32 years old and i thought no one's going to want to talk to me i only talk to hairstylists and grocery clubs and two situations appeared one i realized 
as I began as a 15-year-old shampoo girl, when my lease was up on my salon, I will have been behind the chair for 25 years. And there will certainly be a, another career. It might be something else in hairstyling, but I realized perhaps it could be speaking. And then through a lucky break and sitting down at the right table at lunch, I got discovered by a big time promoter who booked me speak, to speak on the same program with Dr. Robert Schuller, the minister from Garden Grove, who was one of the most popular speakers at the time to 2000 people. So I realized one, I turned up and got discovered and I saw a vision of what my future could be. So I, and I know many people get the speaking bug. Oh, I want to be a speaker. You have to realize it's a long-term goal because you need to be able, if you want to be a speaker, to at least replace the income you have. Plus, I loved, absolutely loved my business. I wasn't ready to leave hairstyling. I was having such a good time. But having an eight-year goal to be prepared was a good one. In fact, you asked me, uh, honey, about the big difference between being a speaker and a hairstylist. In the year 2000, 60 Minutes came to the National Speakers Association Convention. And as you can imagine, they filmed everything for five days and they were interviewing people and dozens and dozens and dozens of people stood in line. And I realized if I'm going to get on 60 Minutes, I have to deliver a short, pithy, interesting answer and it has to be a tweetable length quote long before we invented Twitter. <laughs> so I was asked there's got to be a, you used to be a hairstylist now your speaker's got to be a big difference and my answer was as a hairstylist I worked on the outside of people's heads as a motivational speaker, I work on the inside of people's heads. There's only half an inch difference. Now that line got me on 60 minutes. That half inch has made me millions of dollars. Wow. Not all in the same year. <laughs> so what I did, I kept my business and used speaking. And this is what I recommend everybody does. You use speaking to promote your business or to accelerate your career. And as it happened, I retired from hairstyling one year ahead of schedule when I became the first woman president of the National Speakers Association. So if you think I have been full time with no other source of income, but speaking, coaching, consulting for, let's say, over 40 years. Wow. So that's how it happened. But think big, start small. And if people give you good advice, take it. <laughs> that was with the right pause. Take it. Think big, start small. Thank you, Patricia, for giving this nugget to us. Thank you so much. So, Patricia, for a new speaker like me, how do you suggest we pick up a subject to speak? You get paid for what you know. You get paid well when you deliver the message well. Always begin with what you know. I was a hairstylist. 
So what I started talking about is what I did every day, how to get, keep and deserve customers. And then because I was very good at promoting, I also talked about how do you promote your business? High tech, low tech, no tech. Well, when I started, there was no high tech. It was just how do you promote your business? So start with what you know. And when people come to me and say, oh, I want to talk about this or I want to talk about that, you know, very airy fairy. I said, how do you make your living? What are you good at? If you have not been somewhat of a success in your life so far, your career so far, how do you think you are going to be a successful speaker? Because the disciplines that make you successful in one career are similar disciplines that will help you be successful as a career in speaking. So it's what do you know? Begin with what you know or what you're passionate about. And the second part of that is that other people will pay to know or to listen to. Recently, I was interviewing a friend of mine, Bill Stainton, and he had a very successful TV show in Seattle from 84, I think, to 98. Talk of the town. Everybody knew them. You know, you walk into restaurants, people would gasp. You'd get a table if it was solidly booked. And then just when he bought his big house and fancy car, the show was cancelled. So because he had spoken to promote the show, he was forced into speaking. And he asked me very much the same question. What do I talk about and how, I do, how do I make a living? I said, one, what do you know? He said, I'm an expert on the Beatles. And you have to select a subject, honey, that you're passionate about. To, to develop a good speech or to write a good book, you are going to be with this for a long time. It, it has to make you, I would say, your toes tingle and your eyes water. And so then I said to Bill, all right, you're an expert on the Beatles. You have to be able to sell that message, the five best decisions the Beatles made and how that you can use them to your advantage. You have to be guaranteed that corporate America will pay for the message. So are you passionate? What do you know? And why would people pay, especially companies certainly associations is a good market, which is smaller business people, but that's how you focus in. Awesome, uh, Patricia, uh, you talked about what subject to pick, what you're passionate about. Now, for example, we have, we have picked up a subject which we are passionate about. Now, when we go to the market and you are a sales expert, you teach salespeople, now how do a speaker start selling themselves into the market? Whatever business you're in, whether you're a hairstylist, an entrepreneur in any industry, or a speaker, consultant, or coach, you need to be as good a marketer as you are whatever your product or service is. And the secret with 
promoting is you start and you don't stop. However, you revisit, refocus and rescript. You revisit how you are promoting yourself, what you are saying about your services. And that can be as simple as in a conversation and on your website. You revisit because over the years, obviously the products and services that I offer my clients are different than 20, 30 years ago. So I have to re-script what it is that I say. So, first of all, you need to be a good speaker. You need to be able to promote yourself. Now, yes, I work with sales teams. And what drives me absolutely crazy is many of the companies I work with, they spend a fortune recruiting, training on our products, our services, the competition, territory management. This is how you use our, our contact management system. They spend time and money doing this. What they don't spend enough money on is what do you say when you're in front of a prospect? And that's what I do. So I help people rewrite how they speak about their products and their services. So for example, I was working with a company this morning and one, I always recommend, so if you want a competitive advantage, you can't sound the same as everybody else. This is a number one fripicism. If you sound the same as everybody else, you have no advantage. So what do most salespeople do? Somehow at the beginning, they usually thank their prospect for the time. I say never thank people for their time because everybody does that. And many of my clients, you know, some of my clients, you say yes to them. You might be spending half a million, a million dollars. You might even be spending one client I was working with. You say yes, it could be worth $50 million. So if you are selling your services, if you are selling a high price offering, you can't sound the same as everybody else. If you proclaim we're the best in the industry, which most of my clients do, you got to prove it. So I would say don't thank people for the time. Thank them for the opportunity to discuss how our products and services could well be the solution you're looking for. Awesome. Then the next is, and nobody does this till I tell them, I say, well, what, what do you say next? I say, no, no, no. You're talking about yourself. I work on one basic principle, and that is everybody else is more interested in themselves than they are in me. So I recommend all sales teams say, congratulations. Now, you have to mention specifically what this company or this team or this individual has a right to be proud of. Because once you are talking about them, you're going to make them feel good. And for example, the client this morning, the first call is they cold call. I, well, they the researched so the people they are calling would be good prospects. But I say we know you're cold calling. 
you have to somehow once you got their attention say congratulations so i know although you're cold calling you at least know who you're calling and you prove that just by congratulating them so then i recommend my sales team they because by the time you give a formal presentation you usually know they or somebody else has prepared the people for the meeting so i would say is what are their challenges opportunities or interests and then you frame you structure your presentation around whether they it's challenges opportunities or interests and you take how you talk about yourself specifically as it relates to them and then you're going to have a competitive edge and you'll probably keep the conversation longer as you know and we were talking honey everybody sells themselves so often yeah. my clients are looking for promotions in their company or they're looking for jobs and i usually say well what are they going to ask you tell us about yourself yeah that's the first question yeah. yeah and i said well how do you tell them well you see mere mortals most people <laughs> not me but most people do not like talking about themselves they're going to be too modest every mother seems to have programmed their children don't show off don't be cocky and this is the secret and this is worth tuning into this podcast to learn if you are looking for a job and i'll give you a couple of, a specific example this one executive she wanted to run she was applying for a job to run this department although she'd been successful in a totally different part of the company she was really going in as the underdog because the person who was competing for her had been in second had been second in line in this this group and her boss had their spouse had been moved to another city and this was before it doesn't really matter where you live you can still have the job so it had to be someone local so she was going in an underdog and the secret of talking about yourself is to give credit for the people who taught you and she had three heroes in her presentation the first was her mother the second was a school counselor who helped her develop her talents and go in directions and the third was a manager who became a mentor and so she's the the, the opening was when i was 10 years old sitting at my at the table my mother said you are never going to be in this situation her husband 
who was 36, had dropped dead unexpectedly. Her mother had never worked outside the home and suddenly, with no insurance because he was so young, she had four children. So she stressed to Joan, you have got to get an education. You are never going to be in a position where you have a problem feeding your family, no matter what the circumstance. And then, so this, so you tell the story of your life and you give credit. So because of mother, this was the disciplines that I developed. And when I was at school, this counsellor who helped me, guide me and, and find out my talents and direct me, got me on track to go in the right industry with the right credentials. Then the manager, this is what he taught me. This is what I did as a result, which led to these accolades and these promotions. So you're talking about your successes, but you give the credit to other people. And that's how you sell yourself. I think that's very, very powerful. Uh, you give credit to the heroes of your life. Yeah. I always wonder, Patricia, whenever I make a presentation, I think it's really good. But if you have to give me a suggestion, how do you take that good presentation, make it great? Your suggestion. Well, you know, I have more than one suggestion. <laughs> so one, let's step backwards and look at the process of how you put together a presentation. Every presentation is built around a premise, a big idea, or a central th theme. And certainly, I'm not with you, honey, but most of my corporate clients, they begin their presentations with their PowerPoints. No, that's the last step <laughs> if you're going to use one. So one, the creative process is messy. Oh, presentation is going to be tidy. So I recommend whether it's a yellow pad, a whiteboard, or a flip chart, Think about your presentation. List ideas, thoughts, quotes, what might go into this presentation. That's the creative messy problem, a process. But you want to save these ideas. And yes, you can put them on a yellow pad, but I like them on a flip chart so I can walk by and look at it and think, oh yeah, now that reminds me of this. No, I don't think that's gonna, that idea is going to fit in this speech based on this audience. So it's... When people say, how long does it take you to put together a speech? Well, are you including the days, weeks, and months you might be thinking about it? Gathering the ideas. So then you think, based on this audience, what is the big idea? So, for example, every year, I, do, I have a regular client I've been working for every year for 25 years. And one of the presentations I deliver for them is how to sell yourself and your ideas. So my premise is every payroll manager can sell themselves and their ideas. And if you say that to an audience, they're going to think, oh, I want that. How do I do it? One, two, three. That's how you structure your presentation. Now that is selling the subject. What you might want to do is sell the result. 
Because often when I say to my clients, what are you going to talk about? And they tell me, I said, no, no, that's the framework. What's the big idea? If you had one sentence and I then I usually say, well, what's the result of that? If they do that, what's the result of that? What's the result of that? What's the result? That's what you're talking about. So for the, for that presentation, how to sell yourself and your ideas, my real premise is every payroll manager can get promoted. Oh, I want to get promoted. How do I do that? You need to learn to sell yourself and your ideas. So every presentation is selling the subject or the result. And I'm suggesting that even if you say every payroll manager can sell themselves and their ideas, you need to say is do it well and you'll get promoted. Because every audience, if you're telling them how to give a better speech, you know, how to sell more, you are looking at what is their why. We Many presentations are asking people to change. So you have to focus on why would you invest the time? Why would you risk getting uncomfortable doing something differently? So one, you need to have a big idea and a simple structure. Two, you need to open your presentation with impact. The purpose, this is a fripicism, the purpose of the opening of your presentation is to arouse interest in the subject. That's why if you say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so thrilled to be here. Boring. Being predictable is boring. Now, there are plenty of ways. You could have a question, a quote. I personally love interesting statistics or little known facts. Or you might start with a story, but certainly you need to have a good, strong opening that then leads into the body of the speech and the premise. Working on the principle that you heard before, everybody is more interested in themselves than you. You have to bring your audience into your presentation. You have to speak as an audience advocate. Now, what I mean by that is you might have a similar speech. I'm going to have my same principles if I was talking to speakers as I might to engineers. What's going to be different is the examples of how my engineer clients use this advice. The principles are the same. The use of them are different. And so that's thinking we have all heard. President, chairman of the board say, our strategy is saying this would be great for the shareholder. The value of it will go up. Well, that works for the board of directors and the shareholders, but yes. it doesn't work if you're talking to your employees and they're not shareholders. In that case, you take the same message. Our strategy is sound. That means you have more job securities and chance for promotion. So it's the same message looking at the point of view of that audience. And another way is you focus language. So you might be telling a story that is from your own experience, but you bring the audience in by, I wish you could have been there. Or, yeah. 
in your experience, or what would you have done in this situation? You is a magic word. And you want to you you're not going to speak and not say I. It's not possible. However, you need to look at how often you can say you. Every time they hear you, it's almost like uh, uh, I and they're re-engaging. <laughs> so you're gonna have a good structure based on a premise, which could lead to the result. Open with impact. Make it you focused to bring the audience in and make an emotional okay. connection. You, of course, are going to tell wonderful stories. And stories are about people and we like to hear them speak. So the principle is you deliver the dialogue. You don't report on it. So if I were telling a story, I walked in the boss's office and told him I needed a raise. That is delivering the dialogue. If I said, I walked in the boss's office, said, boss, I need a raise. I work harder than everyone else. That's delivering the dialogue. If it were written, there are quotation marks around and then you can add the emotion. Now then, and what I do with my clients is I look at every sentence to see if there's a better order of the word or better word. So if you think I'm, I walked into the boss's office, now I could I sauntered into the boss's office, I raced into the boss's office, I skipped into the boss's office, I sauntered into the boss's office. So you see the words that you choose create not only different pictures. You 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 cannot say sauntered and rush the same way. You can't. So then, so your story's about people, got to use dialogue as much as possible. It drives the audience, that drives the story forward and brings the audience in. And so many speakers do spend too much time waffling around getting you to the action. And the Hollywood principle is get into the scene late. So, for example, if I began a story, Mary had a problem. What do you think? Who's Mary? What's her problem? Now you need to give your character a backstory. Yeah. Mary was a seasoned HR professional. For 20 years, she'd run HR departments of some of the most prestigious companies in Silicon Valley. Now, what you know about Mary that I don't have to tell you, you just know based on her backstory, is Mary eats problems for lunch. Everybody comes to Mary to solve their problems because she's already solved them. She probably gets invited to s deliver seminars at SHRM, which is the HR professionals association on how to solve problems. So we know without being told, this is a biggie. So you understand your two lines, Mary had a problem, 20 years, prestigious companies. You are two lines into the story and now you want to know, oh, what's her problem? 
John walked into her office and said, Mary, we're about to be sued for $28 million and I think it was my fault. That is an example of get to the scene late. And that you take out you see, I could tell you, well, when Mary was at school, she was always very helpful to her teammates and her high school counsellor suggested because she had such a great personality and looked out that she should perhaps have a career in HR. It doesn't matter. Get to the action. So look at, and I listen to my clients, I say, stop there. Your speech begins at 58 seconds. The rest is waffle. So with stories, then, you know, you get to the action, you have character, you dialogue. And so that's, there are a few ways of how you improve your stories. Then the fifth way, and I am on a mission and I am failing miserably. However, I keep it up. And that is to wipe out non-specific language. This is the fripicism. Specificity builds credibility. And you will not improve what you're not aware of. And of course, what a speech coach's job is to help people understand and reinforce what they do well and bring attention to what needs to be improved. And it's usually non-specific language. And of course, many of my clients are high-level executives, are presidents of company, and nobody can tell them the truth. So they bring someone like me in to tell them the truth in the nicest possible, most respectful way. <laughs> However, and this is where I use my, my, shall I say, my age to my advantage. You know, I always say, I promise I'll be very, very respectful, but, you know, no, nobody's going to push me around. They don't have to take my advice, but I'm going to give them what they need to hear. So here are a few specific examples. First one is, and it's amazing how many people say it, and that is the word stuff, S-T-U-F-F. -F. I heard a wonderful incredible corporate executive. I was at this sales meeting and they had just invested $40 million on a new offering. 40 million. And he was charismatic, he was on stage, he was well-dressed, he had no notes. And I thought, this is one of the best executives, presenters I've ever seen. And then he said, our customers need our stuff. <sighs> Stuff is rubbish and debris. How can you talk about your $40 million investment as, oh, we used it to create stuff. Uh, so, and again, you're not aware what comes out of your mouth. The next and the most common, and if this is the only one word you ever change, you will transform not only your credibility, you will notch up your presentations tenfold. The most frequently asked question of all my clients is, if it weren't a thing, what would it be? For example, I help engineers 
get ready to speak at the customer conferences. So we work on their scripts. And one brilliant engineer said, as part of his product presentation, there are two things people love about. And I said, well, if they weren't things, what would they be? He said, innovative upgrades. I said, there are brilliant, there are millions of people in the world. What people love your innovative upgrades? He said, systems administrators. Can you see the difference in the quality of the communication between there are two things people love about and there are two innovative upgrades the systems administrators love? Now, you understand we all speak English. Even if English is your first language, I still don't appreciate the value of what he's, he's telling me unless he used specific language. However, at that conference, we had customers from 71 different countries. English might be the second or third language. In fact, many do not speak English. They are listening to the presentations through some wonderful, brilliant, <coughs> simultaneous <coughs> translator who is going to repeat what they hear as well as they can in that specific language. So how would a translator without a technical background know what a thing was unless it comes out? So the quality of the communication. So no stuff. If it weren't a thing, what would it be? And if you can't weigh it, it's not tons. You do not get a ton of ideas. Yes. You do not, you don't. Another example. One of, I was saying to one of my clients, when it comes to coaching individuals, there's a limit to how many I can coach. But when it comes to, to delivering information, it's unlimited. Doesn't matter how many people we have in the room. So I can only coach 10. However, if you want to invite more who are learning the presentations they're going to deliver in the future, invite them in. And she said, Patricia, what a great idea because Greg just hired a boatload of new people. I said, Michelle, is it a dinghy or an ocean liner? <laughs> because we use words to communicate however our audience remembers what they see. So a boatload could be a dinghy with three or four people in it, could be an ocean liner with thousands. I said, how many people did he hire? She said, four. I said, Michelle, what's wrong with just saying, great idea, Greg just hired four new people. So it's not tons, it's not a boatload, and then the other is, if it's not fruits or vegetables, it's not a bunch. Oh, I went to I went to a Toastmaster meeting, met a bunch of interesting new people. No, you didn't. I went to a Toastmaster meeting and we had 25 people. Six of them were brand new and they were fascinated. So they are five ways. Naturally, I could go on, but they are five ways that you could improve your presentations, honey, and everyone else could improve theirs too. So many things. Absolutely, Patricia. 
No, Deepak, so many great ideas. They're not good ideas. Yes, absolutely. You see, my work is never done. I know. <laughs> but uh, not just presentation, we got to learn so much about storytelling. I think that was the part I was really hooked to, Patricia. Yeah. And uh, so many other phrases which are not to be used, which are particularly a no in your dictionary should be. I think uh, this was a huge learning for all of us. It's going to be for sure for all our listeners. Good. So Patricia, coming a little bit to your personal front, you have your uh, brother, Robert Fripp, who is a legendary- Oh, yes. My brother, Robert Fripp, he is one year, one month, two days, 12 and a half hours younger than I am. Wow. And we have always, we were raised as twins oh. because my mother said, little children don't understand why one gets presents and the other doesn't. So we always celebrated our birthdays in April on my birthday and we both have presents. Well, you know, when we got to be about 12, I said, brother, you might as well take your birthday back because we understand the concept. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he is, uh, he is, according to Rolling Stone magazine, the 42nd best guitarist in the history of the world, living or dead. I think if they did the poll now, he might even be higher on the list. He, his band is King Crimson. They have been performing for 52 years. Now, here's something that you might find interesting, and so will your listeners. On the 50th anniversary tour, which was pre-pandemic, my brother realized we have a big press conference, which they did, and he spoke for four and a half hours. He is incredibly articulate. And the, the editor of the Rolling Stone magazine flew from New York to London to attend. And he said, Mr. Fripp, what is the purpose of the 50th anniversary tour? And my brother said, to introduce King Crimson to innocent ears. In other words, let's go back, honey, to how do you promote yourself? Yes, I was you about to. Always have to. You see, they are fans that have supported them for 50 years. However, we always have to introduce ourselves to new people. I will be attending the National Speakers Association Convention in a couple of weeks. Now, we got brand new members who have absolutely no idea who Patricia Fripp is, just as there are people like, Patricia Fripp, you never heard of her? Where have you been? But there are many people who not only have never heard of Patricia Fripp, they've never heard of Robert Fripp, They've had perfectly wonderful, satisfying lives not knowing the Fripp kids existed. <laughs> but, but Brother is incredibly articulate. In fact, 
I have had many music reporters that I've met over the years that say, usually when we interview rock stars, the PR people answer the questions because the rock stars might be brilliant musicians, but they can't put two sentences together. Whereas brother, they all say he is the most thoughtful, articulate musician they've ever interviewed. Awesome. Amazing to know about him. So, uh, Patricia, you share, you frequently share stage with him. How did this start? How did this start? Well, it began, it, it, well, it, it began with, I can't even remember the year, but my brother has performed not only with his band, but his Frippatronics. It's a, a way of playing with <laughs> loops and and what. So he had some of these concerts, and I flew to DC and had a little vacation with him and listened to him. And at the end of the first evening, he stepped forward and said, and, and I believe it was because I was there. He said, do you have any questions I can answer? And he, you know, so he spoke to them for about 50, 30 minutes answering their questions. And they had shipped enough CDs, merchandise for a week's worth of shows. The first night they sold everything. And I said to my brother, it is because you talk to the audience. So they shipped in more. Now, I only saw his first performance. And then I was staying with him years later. And he called me in his office and said, listen to this. I didn't know they had recorded all the con not only the shows they had recorded all the conversations and he heard, he played he said my sister was was uh, in my audience yesterday and she said patricia she said brother when you talk to the audience they will buy your merchandise <laughs> i heard him say that so i'm talking to you and every night they saw so i hadn't realized so i took these recordings which I called Robert Fripp Unplugged. And we made a product of them. They are available on my website, you know, as, as MP3 downloads. And then my good client, the American Payroll Association, they had a conference and somehow the theme was around heroes. Well, brother played on David Bowie's Heroes. So I suggested to my client brother should be speaking at this conference which he did and it was a wild success and from there there we've had clients now how we organize this i go with him and i ask him questions and he answers them no, the answer might be eight minutes and then he might think, might turn to me and say, sister, which leads to the second question and he'll go off from there. But I'm the framework that keep it. And then then we, 
for one of the Lady and the Champs, you know, Darren LaCroix and Mark Brown and Craig Valentine. We used to have Lady and the Champs. Yeah. So brother came to one of them and we delivered four presentations together, which I recorded, which Robert Fripp VT, you go to my website, Robert Fripp VT, you click on products, you can have access to these brilliant talks with my brother. Awesome. And one of them is how to become a hero for more than one day based on his experience playing on Heroes with David Bowie. Uh, mm. Patricia, if our audience wants to learn from you, how they can contact well, you? Yes, well, if you want to go to frip.com forward slash handouts plural, we have a lot of free resource. We have special reports. We have my opening lines. We have my speech diagrams that I was talking about, uh, how to frame and outline your speech, all that free. While you're on that website, you can, on that page, you can sign up for my newsletter. Every Tuesday, I send out advice on speaking. You can also see video clips from my Fripp virtual training, which is the best of what I've learned about speaking for over 40 years into one highly interactive learn at your own pace system. And that is, uh, that's Fripp virtual training, but you can get a tri trial. It's very cost effective to learn everything I know. In fact, you could have a year access for less than one hour talking to me on the phone. Friends, if you want to know and learn from Patricia, you can go to frip.com. And before we end, honey, you want to ask any questions from her? We are privileged to have you here, Patricia. What are your closing thoughts as we talk about your story here? All learning is repetition and reinforcement. Training is not something we did. It is what we do. Wow. All learning, repetition and reinforcement. Really powerful. My pleasure. Can we say that we, both of us, Deepak and I, are fripnotized? <laughs> yes, you're fripnotized. And you can't wait to do it again. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patricia, for your time. And this opportunity to converse with you on this show, Your Story, Your Glory. Thank you so much.